Hello and welcome to another episode of A Dash of Science. I'm your host, Chris. Each week we discuss a topic through a lens of science, logic, and reasoning. Sometimes our topics are very scientific and technical, and other times they can be more subjective. But we always attempt to approach them with rationality in our discussions. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. You got nothing in this world I In my previous podcasts, I've asked my guests where they stand with STEAM and STEM. As I've mentioned, I believe when it comes to funding, we need to maintain the importance and prevalence of science, technology, engineering, and math. But this does not mean that I devalue the role that art has to play in these fields and in society as a whole. So this week, I'm taking a dip into the more artistic side of life. My guest, Ian Strandberg, is an artist I met a few years ago who impressed me with his breadth of knowledge and interests. Today, we talk about art in the age of science, how they overlap, and how they support and enrich each other. To start off, we'll learn a little bit about Ian and the work he's done. All right. Hey, guys. I'm here with my good friend Ian Strandberg. That's correct. With a little question mark on the end, just like that. Yeah, Ian Strandberg. Berg, Birkin, uh, hmm. Are we not saying that one? I didn't even ask. <laughs> no, it's on there, so you're fine. All right, so we're here with Ian, and we're going to be talking about uh, art in the age of science. So that's pretty good. How you doing, Ian? Yeah, that's a solid range there. Well, we got like 400. How many hundred years of science do we have at this point? Is it, we we going back to the 1600s? Is that kind of renaissance in there? Is that what we're saying, science? I mean, it depends on when you're saying, you know, we became a science as separate from philosophy because you go back, you know, all the way to da Vinci. You know, he was, I'd say he's a scientist. Uh, but like the natural philosopher, see? The, that's the, that's it. I know that is the steampunk name for scientist. It is, and it's back when it was all about observation and more observation than experimentation. Isn't it? Uh, I always find it fascinating that it can be novel that you would experiment. Yeah. The idea, like the, the pre-experimental era, era of thought. Um, it's, it's so hard to put yourself in that mindset. It is, and it's kind of interesting to think there was a time where everything we learned is we just sat there and we thought about it really hard and waited until something sounded good. Yeah, that's how I learn every day. <laughs> there, you know, there's benefit, there's merit to that, but I'm glad that we've kind of moved away from that being the only way that we learn things because, uh, you know, we got some stuff wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you mean just like grunting out that theorem until it clicked? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just state it until it's, it's, say it's right until somebody that's, you know, more, uh, more charismatic comes along to tell us that it's not. Come on! Chug along, chug along. All right. So I am prepared, uh, as prepared as one can be for a conversation of this magnitude uh, and uh, to go forth. So why don't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about you and what it is that you do exactly? Uh, that is a, always a question that I struggle to answer, so I'll just keep it as simple as possible. Um, uh, I am a, a basically a product and toy designer. I work primarily on Minecraft-related products and, and goods. I spend the rest of my time learning things and then applying that learning. Right now, it's really important to me to make a game, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure why, but I've decided to stop fighting it. So, um, yeah, I am kind of focusing all my efforts outside of work on learning uh, C-sharp and everything else that you would need to know to produce a, uh, a video game. Oh, very nice. And what platform are you looking at? 
Uh, you know, right now, platform is less important to me than production. So uh, my design document specifies that my computer is the target platform. Um, uh, it's very likely because I don't, I'm not employing any kind of absurd or unusual tech uh, that that will very easily roll out to the web and other PCs and Mac, Macs and Linux and so forth. Um, but I'm not going to fight it. Uh, I would rather, I want to get through the cycle. Like, uh, it turns out that that game design is the most gigantic topic. I never, uh, I, I, I under, I've underestimated this topic my whole life. Um, and uh, there is so much to it that um, I'm just happy to kind of spin out like a couple of grains of inspiration into um, into a, a, a template and just say, okay, how can I make this enjoyable just in this very limited domain? Because this the topic is so huge, and it's it's not like we don't have the academic resources of of like proper engineering and, uh, and software <laughs> design. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a fascinating and challenging field, that, and I am completely absorbed by it. But you're out there, you're trying to make a real indie game, you're not trying to make Flappier Bird or anything like that. No, 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 I mean, my objective is to express myself this way. Um, you know, if, 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 if an artist I be, uh, this be my medium. Um, make, making making this right now is just art. The the, the natural sort of uh, inclination to create happening. I don't have a, a strong motive. I don't feel like I need the world to hear me, but maybe I'm not acknowledging that. Who knows? <laughs> I just feel like I need to do this, um, and I'll work the psychology out along the way. So you're working on on games right now, but uh, well, how long have you have you been an artist, or have you considered yourself an artist? Maybe those are two different questions. Yeah, I don't know. I've been, uh, you know, I'll say I I claim to be able to produce a piece of artwork worthy of your cash, going back, uh, you know, to high school. Uh, so to that extent, uh, I've always identified with work as an artist. I've always identified with working you know, uh, plying my trade, creating things for for the, the world. Um, it's taken me a long time to settle on any kind of like clear identity uh, with respect to, you know, what I do as an artist. It's always been, you know, it's more been more about the internal struggle. <laughs> right, right. And then getting by, as I think it is for a lot of artists. So, um over the course of the time that you've been doing art, what kind of uh, what mediums have you worked with? Um, when I was a kid, of course, it was you know Crayola and dirt. All right, the number one number one tools of an artist. Yes, <laughs> I, I I I did a lot of eccentric cooking with my friend Jeremy. We just pull random plants and put random things. I, we had no idea. Like we didn't intend to drink it. I'm not sure. <laughs> some kind of artistic you know some kind of inspiration coming out of us so uh, we used to make weird inventions together um you know i've always been interested in like the fantastical interpretations of the world and um getting off the beaten path and trying to do things um weirdly like intentionally weird uh is it's always kind of been part of my role i guess so I guess uh, looking back, at you're doing uh, kind of more digital stuff now with your gaming. I know you do some uh, animating and sculptures. And thank you for bringing me back around. Um, 
Yeah, so I started off in Crayola. I, I have done, you know, like I've dabbled in watercolor and uh, a lot of practical media, but pretty much as soon as I could make images on a computer, I'm like, that's for me. And it initially started off as I'm terrified that I'm going to be bad at this, so I'll let the computer be bad. Uh, and then, you know, I'll kind of hide in like primitive technology for a long time. And then finally, technology caught up and I, I couldn't escape it anymore. So uh, it became a true medium at that point. And, and since then, um, yeah, digital has been the only craft I wish to master uh, in terms of making art. Now, I'll kick it out to the 3D printer and, and marvel in its physicality, but um, uh, creating it digitally is just, and the possibilities behind that just fascinate me beyond measure. So technology and science are really kind of uh, at the core of, of the art that you're working on at this point, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Like without, uh, oh, what is this fellow's name? I, I just looked this up. Without the creator of ZBrush and his uh, unique perspective at the intersection of art and science and art and mathematics, um, I would not have this incredibly expressive tool that I can use to quickly realize, you know, a three-dimensional form um, that reflects accurately reflects like a like a, a, a an interesting take on the world that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to kick out. Like I often think of it as like it's a it's a force multiplier for somebody that I I fear I would never have otherwise been patient enough to finish a piece uh, in another medium. And I feel like ZBrush was kind of like the moment I realized, okay, now this moves at the pace of attention deficit disorder. Now we can turn something out in a few hours or a couple of days. It's really, really interesting, and things are things are moving smoothly. Ah, so it really helps with the ADD is what I'm getting from you there. Um, yeah, I mean, like, not having... So, I, you know, like, I can only attribute my experiences to the initials that have been thrown my way. Um, I'm assuming that, you know things that can be turned around into satisfying and stimulating results are, are, are going to generically fit the ADD personality, and it certainly fits my personality. I can see that. So obviously when you're using uh, you know, technology as a tool, the crossover there is pretty good, but what about some of the other uh, aspects that you've done in, in art in your past life? Would you say that, that science and technology can easily kind of cooperate with art, or do you think it has to be forced, or do you think that it only works with some forms of art and not others? I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to need or uh, oversimplify the comparison to the point of making the distinction irrelevant, but I, I would say that, like, I, I don't... I don't necessarily see that there is, uh, like, uh, I'm not sure what I think the meaningful intersection is outside of uh, one enabling the uh, the other. Like, so I see the relationship as a, an aerobaros of of inspiration and uh, and uh, enabling. Right. So science enables artists to uh, to create uh, new and different things uh, to work in. Uh, you know never before possible media um i'm thinking of vanta black actually i think is that what's called vanta black a little controversy there uh, <laughs> over the ultra black color right right one artist tied up and everybody thought oh this is just this just isn't right <laughs> uh so anyway um yeah i i really i really think like the you there are spectrum you know there are like like there are points in some like weird Cartesian graph, 
and they they radiate out with all this beautiful complexity of you know here's physics and here's i don't know hydrodynamics comes out of that and, and over here you know like graphs of hydrodynamic systems and the forces acting upon all of the different micro oh, micro mechanical interactions in the surface of the interior of the tube yield these beautiful patterns that inspires an artist to take those algorithms and tweak them into something marvelous that inspires the filigree in a piece of architecture uh, that houses, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can make up a whole circle of life uh, description for it. But, you know, I really see it as just like a, a cycle of interaction um, sure. where, where those edges meet. Um, and I think they both do each other uh, a world of good. So that kind of brings up a point about the kind of the interface between the artists and the science, uh, which uh, I'm gonna, we're going to take a break here real quick, and then we'll come back and we'll really start to talk about that, about the math and the science behind these tools that you're using. I don't care about the state of art. Everything I care about is falling apart. Don't want to hear about the new design. I don't mind if I get left behind. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to check us out at www.facebook.com slash dash of science, where you can post questions, see posts, and get links to chat with us in Discord. We also live stream our recordings on twitch.tv slash physicistchris, that's P-H-Y-S-I-C-I-S-T-C-H-R-I-S. We are talking today with Ian Strandberg about art in the age of science. Next, we discuss the science and math involved in the technology behind the tools for digital art. All right, we're back, and now uh, we're going to start to get into the digital art, the 3D printing, and the other tools that are used by artists, uh, and specifically Ian. So now, obviously, these programs are based in engineering and technology, and, but and there's a lot of heavy math behind the GUI. So I guess my question to you is how important do you think it is for the artist to understand the math and the science that's going on behind their interfaces? I think that is entirely dependent upon uh, what the artist is hoping to accomplish. So an artist might come to a tool with a wide range of, of intents for that tool, and, and it kind of it kind of all rests on what the artist's goal is. And, and you know, if you know, are they are they exploring the medium in sort of a you know, I, I don't want to make any cast any aspersions nor pre present that I understand entirely, but. You know, there is such a thing as exploring a medium, like kind of on that medium's terms. So, for instance, one one way to uh, artistically explore the medium of three D printing, it, it, you know, sort of IMO, is um, is to just like explore what you can express just through the mechanism of the printer itself. So, uh, pull me back if I've gone too far astray, but um, I, I find that um, the artist that wants to understand these can can if uh, if it suits their goals benefit enormously from understanding the mathematics i i personally find math incredibly stimulating uh and fascinating and so i study it for for that sake alone um but i think that there's also tremendous value um, and i think that there's like long-term competitive value in leveraging uh technology on your own terms as a programmer for instance or um you know as a as a sort of a software designer uh, to build tools that'll give you a competitive advantage um, as an artist, for instance. I've designed, I don't know, half a dozen systems around the, the concept of kind of generating um, inspiration that uh, other artists will not have the advantage of working from. Uh, it's sure. an idea that I have had um, a lot of interest in over the years. 
And, uh, you know, it's something that I hope one day will give me or other other artists down the road um, a competitive advantage or an ability to, you know, let's let's take it out of the realm of commerce, just uh, like uh, an opportunity to push their uh, push their boundaries by, you know, to, to engineer like their own unique pareidolia, that kind of thing. Right. Definitely. And I think, you know, one thing, I think you can be a fantastic artist without, you know, having a, a grasp on the math behind these things. But I almost wonder if maybe part of being a truly great artist in the digital realm is having that understanding because then you can do things like make your model more efficiently or that's going to have more versatility in it because you understand the mathematics behind the Boolean tool. You understand the geographic shapes and how, you know, your computer's reading these meshes essentially when they're doing these things. I mean, does that sound like uh, something that would be accurate to you? It sounds like a competitive advantage. It sounds like, like, and certainly if you're, if troubleshooting is something you want to do is as little of as possible, having that technical knowledge and having like, uh, some awareness of underlying principles like you know i'm i'm I, I find it useful that i have some some appreciation for boolean logic when i am dealing with you know boolean operators in both programming well especially programming but also in in 3d uh situations you know there's some uh i feel like i've been i benefit from having studied the abstract uh skill or the uh, skills that surround that abstract concept uh and, and that it sort of they, they transfer to some extent and and give me insight that Maybe an artist that has not um, taken the time to appreciate how those things work might be intimidated, or they might not be um, as advantaged in in discovering, you know, like uh, f fruitful paths, um, or it might just take them longer. Uh, but you know, I'll say that I think the probably the most important thing uh, is is perseverance. Like above any kind of arbitrary, you know need to be smart I, I i believe that smarts has way less to do with both success in life and success in, as an artist uh than perseverance and just like having a burning need to do something sure yeah most people that have that burning need figure out a way to do it uh and there are both there are hideous and amazing examples <laughs> throughout history and society yes uh, definitely i agree there so I have some experience with uh, with Lightwave and SolidWorks, and they're kind of two different programs. Uh, Lightwave is more of the artistic used for movie animation. SolidWorks more of the uh, the mechanical design aspect of, of CAD work. But uh, we've talked a lot about how we use science in art, but you know, there's also the other side of using art in science. When you're doing design work and you're designing something that needs to both work functionally and be aesthetically pleasing to people. I mean, I mean, that's where art steps in. You can't do that all just with science. Have you had any experience yourself with doing anything like that? Uh, I'm thinking about that. Um, I mean, experience, sure. I did some portfolio pieces uh, for uh, Lizzie's lab when she was in grad school. Uh, and I certainly wanted, um, you know, I, I felt that like I could I could bring a benefit to those like otherwise sort of kind of utilitarian illustrations of, of these apparatus they were working on in uh, their laboratory. But uh, I felt like, okay, I can bring an, an appreciation for, um, you know, graphic design and, and support like the readability of this and support the usability of these tools as a, um, as a, a benefit of my, you know, ex artistic experience and uh, the, I, I don't want to, I hesitate to say training, you know, 
like claim uh, some kind of special training, but um, certainly experience or um, self training, you know, awareness, reading, um, acquiring. <laughs> right. And something that you said here just kind of reminded me of something I hadn't thought about. And, and if you don't want to get into it, that's fine. But, you know, Lizzie is, is a physicist herself and you're an artist. And so, how how is that in in living a life with because people generally tend to think that art artistic people and scientific minded people are very different in how they approach things yeah i, I mean if life has taught me anything it's that like at least it, for for me those generalizations haven't meant much um like lizzie is which isn't like a judgment or anything uh just like lizzie is uh not a scientist at home um she is like uh, a mom and a uh and a, a spouse and she's like uh, a person that i love and hang out with and there's not like she doesn't bring the science-minded like stereotype home i guess uh, <laughs> you know she's always just been super accommodating and interested to see what i was coming up with next um, and so, I, in, in that sense, I've been I've been really fortunate uh, that it's it's kind of been easy. There's never been it. There's not really anything interesting to report there, right? Um, because there's no there's no conflict. I mean, that's that's a good thing, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> we hate to hear like, oh, we fight all the time because I she's logical and I'm all over the place. But <laughs> there's good for me and there's good for Pod. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So uh, you talked a little bit about your 3D printing. How you like to see that in in the physics class? I know you used to do some like uh, uh, like sculpting and 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 stuff like that. So how is how has 3D printing uh, expanded your art in that sense? Oh man, like. Uh there is a there's a translation from the screen to the physical world that can be difficult to uh, to work with you know you you have this a sense of what it what it feels like on the screen and what it would look like in print and this has gotten sort of relatively easier over the years but it still can be a challenge to sort of say all right well this is this is my design but until you get it in front of you at the correct scale and really get a feel for it uh, it could look r weird and amateurish and ineffective and off-putting. <laughs> that sounds like there's a story there almost. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like learning the lesson as a as a freelance artist with no or with little, um, you know, like real world experience. I didn't benefit from uh, the lessons learned in, in industry through through training as much. So, I mean, I, gl I gleaned as much as I could from books and just kind of trying to to work it out, but. Yeah, there were there were situations where I'm like, okay, I thought this, I thought a rev of this, I did these gigantic, like twenty foot wide banners a couple times for a company, and thank goodness they were always happy with the results. But you know, I was always pushing myself, like thinking, all right, they're asking for this, and here's what it looked like on my looks like on my screen, but I really gotta, I've got to get this in front of me to optimize this. I've got to like, I've got to stand in this thing, and I think that's what one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest uh gaps for me in um digital art is it you know at some point uh, my art has a role to play in physical reality from time to time and so it's not like i can ignore that aspect of the medium sure so 
like being able to stand in it uh you know so i would do things like get an opaque projector like i couldn't afford to print a giant banner and and also stay on budget so i get an opaque projection like back it way up and like you know, right <laughs> with it until it was in focus and really get up there um uh, but now i can get in vr which is kind of neat oh yeah that's another piece of technology that i have i totally missed when i was deciding what we we're gonna talk about so Let's yeah. let's talk about that a little bit. Do you uh, do you use that a lot uh, still to kind of get an idea? But I am not sad that it is sitting here ready because I do, I value um, like the steps that it's taking, and it's it, it. I am sort of in this space where it's like, okay, there is something coming. You know, there's something right around the corner for this technology, and it's made up of all of these little tiny advancements and little tiny. Ooh, this person over here is figuring out a little bit more with navigation, and now. Um, there's a tool called Medium on the Oculus. It's a sculpting tool. Uh, and now there's a more collaborative space available there. So you can actually get into uh, Medium with another sculptor and uh, see each other and, and see each other's progress and then chat with one another as well. And that is, um, you know, it's like a small but important next step in turning like the consumer VR tech into uh, enabling more and more serious artists tools. Sure. Um, you know, like setting up uh, communities where you can stand, you know, next to a sculptor or, you know, even as a 3D modeler, for example, communities of 3D modelers where you can build a workshop and everybody is building their designs in that space and roughing them in together and able to interact and share and benefit from each other's knowledge. Is that something that exists or something you're just... Uh... Ideaing about because that's a that's an amazing idea. <laughs> yeah, I think it would I think it would be an amazing uh, an amazing community to have. Sure. Uh, I don't know if the tech is there, you know, and I don't know if the tools are there at this point, but certainly that is something we could look forward to benefiting from. I mean, they've got the basis for it. they've got what is it uh, V time I think it's called where you can have you know you can be all there in the same spot. I think they're limited on only head movements currently, but uh, but there are, there are tools which go beyond that. Like, there's nothing inherent to the technology that says you can't also see people's you know uh, you can't also see people's what people's hands are doing. Sure, It'll all be transmitted. And then, you know, there are also tools where you can have screens up everywhere. Here's what everybody else is looking at and interacting with. And uh, so you have those social aspects. Uh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it, it, there's definitely a social future for VR and then ultimately, you know, augmented reality, uh, which is kind of where where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think there's definitely a future in augmented reality. I'm kind of a skeptic when it comes to VR because I, I've been around the computer industry uh, all my life. You know, my dad used to build and, and sell computers and stuff. And I remember when VR first had its initial big wave and it was in the mid 90s. Uh, and we had a set that was on the Amiga CD32, I think it was called, where they had animations you could put on. And, and the tech there uh, had a lot of the same problems that some of the tech here has that we're kind of just starting to get by with, you know, making you dizzy and nauseous or blocking your sight completely. And so I've kind of been a skeptic as the actual, I guess, uh, the utility of VR because people that are very high into VR, they're excited about their, oh, there's going to be VR in every household and this and that, you know, and I, I don't think I see it going that route. VR is, is too isolating. It's not, I, I don't see it ever like fully catching on personally. Right. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm a dude saying that on the internet. So <laughs> um, yeah, there's just, it, it is isolating. It is still not convenient enough to get into and get out of. Uh, it provides some very compelling experience, like experiences 
that people enjoy very much, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't yet exceed the effort of using it in my opinion. Sure. It's it's too restrictive really is what it comes down to me, I think is most of the things that you're doing in there, there's a cool factor that gets you doing it, but for anything that has actual utility or function, it's just easier to do it on your computer or your phone or whatever. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but Google Blocks just came out a couple days ago, and it's uh, it's probably going to be a weekend project. I'm going to get in there and start playing with it. And that is, it looks like it's sort of like a VR 3D MS Paint. Um, oh. That, if they've done it thoughtfully, could actually be kind of like a great step forward in in 3D uh, design. I really want to see their solutions for some of the interface stuff because just the notion of being able to kind of move elements around um, very naturally, like you're playing with an infinite block set, you know, and you can just kind of continually grab and stack and grab and stack and build. Um, if, if they've managed to capture that kind of efficiency and natural, uh, a natural experience, Mm-hmm. They they will be kind of you know taking a step in in a direction I think is very exciting because uh, it's going to make uh, it's going to be another technology that's going to make you know 3D design so much more accessible, which means we're going right. to get a lot more cool stuff. One thing that's kind of interesting about with VR and like you were talking about with the 3D printing is there's kind of like a, I mean, there's lots of different types of intelligences, one of which is spatial awareness. We're talking about dimension and stuff. And it sounds like that that was one of the aspects that you were having a hard time with at first is with that kind of taking, okay, this says this is three meters long, but what does that look like in when it's actually three meters long? You were saying you're having some issues with your printer. I'm curious, you know, when you first started, how much of that was like precision on the printer? How much of that was just not having good spatial awareness? How much of it was just trial and error, I guess? The, the, the printer is, 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 I got a badass printer. Uh, I have a Portrax (laughs) M200 and that is just, just a a darling, uh, you know, whatever. I I don't know. I don't know what the, like the overall tolerances are. I use it in, in design capacity and I don't do industrial design so that's not an issue sure um, it's, it's all about just being I, I don't I, you know there I think it's training yourself to appreciate like what the relationship between the object on the screen is and the object in uh, is in real life you know and because in ZBrush there's no fixed scale uh, obviously the object can have a scale but my interaction with it has no other point of reference so it's big when I need it to be big and it's small when I need it to be small um, and uh, one thing I keep next to my monitor here and you can't see this unless you're looking at my stream but it is a rubber ruler and then I put that directly on my screen and I say okay if this thing is I want this thing to be three inches tall I'm making it three inches on my screen and I'm going to going to measure it right here and now and get a feel for it and that's been a that's been a necessary tool uh, <laughs> over the years. So I was going to kind of ask you, and, and in reference of where the conversation has, has gone, it's 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 definitely a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, does the technology that you use help you do things that you couldn't do before, or does it just make it more efficient? Um, no, it's well, I mean, like both. Uh, the On the one hand, um, I, I, I can now you know, print a mold out, which is enormous time savings for some specific circumstances. I mean, it it turns out that you you can't just print any old useful mold out on a 3D printer, and there are some challenges with that, but being on the road to that being a more commommonplace experience is is an awesome thing. Um, 
so in that sense, that is that is both um, something I could not do, you know, I, and I couldn't design molds um, with the precision that I now can because I can use CAD tools and I can use uh, actually very recently ZBrush added some really kick-ass um, Boolean tools as well. Right. Uh, we have a live uh, Boolean with uh, you know multi-million polygon resolution meshes cutting out of each other and deforming and all kinds of amazing stuff. <laughs> Uh, the, the landscape for tools is is awesome, and uh, I, I like kind of my kind of my mission uh, as a as a human has somehow become find weird things to do with technology, find ways to make the computer do my work for me in some capacity, uh, find ways to discover new ideas and designs by you know writing expressions and, and creating. Um, Procedures, right? Before uh, pieces, you know, for better or for worse, at different stages in my career. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's been kind of an argument that I've heard off and on from some artists who are more purists, and that argument is about something being lost in digital art. You know, some say that uh, the ability to do things easier has negated maybe the talent that is required or that used to be required to do things or that it, you know, cheapens creation. I, I, you know, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that like, like creative design, like visual design is, is cheap. It's the dime a dozen. You, there are zillions and zillions and zillions of sufficiently talented people in the world that nobody really needs my particular designs. Like, Right. Somebody else can come along and provide an amazing product. So uh, there is like an existential challenge for artists, but that is that is built into technology and it's built into a ton of other fields. And so uh, it, it it's 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 part of the game. Um, it, ta talent is cheap. Like there's tons and tons and tons and tons of talent out there. So what do you got left? You got reliability. You have flexibility. You have um, uh, passion. Uh, you can you can get somebody with a ton of talent, but if they're not executing with any passion, they are not going to produce the results. Uh, well, you know, excuse me. It, it, I, I speak artistically, and I speak out of my my um, posterior. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but but in earnestness, like there is a definite importance to what you can bring to the table because you care about what you're doing and because you uh, are resilient to um, to failures and because you are able uh, to uh, to be a leader and make the sacrifices leaders need to make sometimes um, those are all like teams are a force multiplier so if you can't work with other people then you're you're boned like, right you cannot do the bit you cannot do the big things in life if that's in, in your on your agenda and you think look this isn't directed to anybody in particular but like to the people that believe that elon musk does this on his own <laughs> straight up it is not it's not just him uh, however much uh however much founder worship uh there may there may be coming from the culture you know like teams are enormously important so there's way more to it than like the lone genius and the uh the eccentric madman and it, it you have to be able to flex and grow and you have to embrace the things that make it possible for you to express yourself. And, and if you insist upon making a living at it, you have to adapt to provide something that, that you can sell. It's not up to you. It's up to the marketplace. And it's, uh, from that perspective. And so, you know, 
Like, if you say, like, to the people that, well, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm picking fights that were never mentioned. <laughs> but I, but I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, like, rambling artist wisdom uh, thoughts, things. Uh, I'm hoping if it's vague enough, it'll be like a cold reading and people will just kind of put their own wisdom uh, pasted on top there. All right. Well, I'm not going to let you get uh, away with that that easily. So final question. Uh, so I'll, I'll get on you or I'll, I'll give you answers if I can. So I'm reading from what you said that definitely the, the digital and the science and the math in, into the art is definitely beneficial to the consumer as it gives them a, a wider variety of artists to choose from that might be easier to work with or better. But what do you think it does to the art itself? Um, it, it, it depends. I mean, there's more of it. And if you want a certain type of art, uh, I guarantee somebody out there is making it. Uh, so it's kind of up to the consumer to bathe in their embarrassment of riches and, and swim to uh, the warm spot in the water for themselves. Um, the, ar the art is out there. The art with integrity is out there. You just have to go find it. The art with, um, with uh, shameless... Uh, same shameless cloning that's out there there are people that will make you clones of stuff right everything in between so i think it's kind of incumbent upon us to say okay well I, we care enough to go find what we care about um and the people are going to make what they're going to make and and as as more people with you know look this is arrogant i don't i don't, I don't know i i feel weird saying this but there is a part of me that believes is more people with less imagination uh, get a better grasp of the tools that make uh, make less imaginative and make less imaginative characters that appeal to more people. That there will be a pro proliferation of, and we already see it in you know the styles and movies. I mean, how many times have we all seen the cliche of big monster appears and the first thing he does is go, <laughs> right? But it's like, hey, if we all get in on this in a couple of years, we can all do this gag where he doesn't roar. <laughs> right. Great. You know, so, you know, it's, it's like like cycles of abusing the most Budweiser MG <laughs> that you can concoct of anything. You know, there's there's some of that, but there's also genuine expression happening both. It's like sneaking into and being embraced by some big, uh, some big amazing productions here and there. And, you know, uh, specifically, I see just like there's just beautiful, beautiful design and model work being done, uh, 3D modeling and traditional modeling across the industry. Um, you can see it in uh, now like medium budget, in well, you know, I don't know if those still exist, but you know, the, the medium budget indie films of <laughs> just getting these, like they may be shit movies, but man, the photography has gotten so much better. They are really nice looking shit movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we can, and that's, that's kind of the era maybe that we're in is like there is a proliferation of incredible looking shit um and it'll take us a while and we'll we'll continue to find our i'm sure we'll, well look who knows <laughs> hopeful that we'll continue to find our you know our favorites you know our hitchcocks and scorseses and our uh right what, what are some will Wrights uh and our uh ken, ken levines and of the game designers we like. I wish I could remember game designers properly. This shows that <laughs> is really kind of sadly lacking. And, and now I, oh, you know, Derek Yu, uh, Spelunky, obviously, he, he touched the nerve there, and he's certainly been an inspiration to me. Um, yeah. Well, it kind of, 
it kind of reminds me of a story that I heard. I, and I, I usually don't share just random stories that have no, you know, actual place or time. But I really like this one. I wish I could remember where it came from. But it's a story of the art teacher, you know, asking for this kids or for students to make these uh, vases. And, you know, one group was going to be graded on how many they could make and the other group on how, you know, quality. And they found that obviously the, the group that was tasked with making more came out with more. But they also found that the group tasked to make more made the best ones also. So, you know. More highly on creative merit is what I've heard. Right. So I don't know if that's a true story or if it's just an adage or whatever it is. But I think that it really applies here to this situation with art. You're absolutely right. We're going to get more crap out there, but we might get better out there also. I think that it is highly likely. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I think it's proven out. You Again, if you look for it, there is an incredible incredible and incredibly uh, varied uh, quantity of styles out there. Um, there are, you know, the Creators Project is a great place to go looking for unique uh, takes on art and, and, and visual design. Um, and, and just go from there, like search, go to those names and then search who they're interested in. It's all over Instagram. I mean, you know, the big channels might be the same old stuff, and they might be chasing each other to see who can do the most intricate little pen drawing or the most realistic eyeball, <laughs> or whatever. And they know their audience, and they're 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 doing. They're, they've got a business, and they've got a craft. And uh, but there's also stuff that just like, hey, I, I carved these. I I took these tires and I sculpted sharks out of them. <laughs> well, you can say what you will about how much merit that has from an expression standpoint. I whatever it looks rad and it's a really right. unique design and it and it it it, Im, it is imbued with um uh potential for meaning and if that spurs or supports a conversation fine i think that i think that's fine you know right. it doesn't have to be about anything but looking rad and interesting and and engaging uh people will find a use for it i suppose that is very true. I think that's a good uh, good spot to stop here for this segment. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about uh, that part that Ian just said that he's not very good at, uh, science and art in history. I don't care about the state of art. Everything I care about is falling apart. Don't want to hear about the new design. I don't mind if I get left behind. You're listening to A Dash of Science. I'm talking to Ian Strandberg, a digital artist here in California. If you like the show and would like to support it, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash dashofscience. For just $1 a month, you'll get a special shout-out after you sign up, added to our list of sponsors on our website, and receive a special Patreon title on our Discord chat. We also have a $5 a month option that will guarantee you get your question answered before any non-Patreon questions. For just $10 a month, you get all of the above, plus a spot on the Dash of Science crew on Discord. A special thanks at the end of each and every episode. Lastly, for $20 a month, you get everything discussed above, plus a free Dash of Science t-shirt. Not only that, but every time a new t-shirt design comes out, you'll get a free one of those as well, for as long as you continue to be a Patreon at that level. Once again, that's patreon.com slash dash of science. Now we return to my chat with Ian, where we wander around the topic of science and art in history. All right, we're back here with Ian. Uh, we're talking about art and science, and specifically science and art in history. So, uh, you know, science and art, they kind of, you know, they're coming together again, and they were apart for a while, but they kind of started out the same. We were talking about earlier before we were recording, you know, like uh, the original 
or maybe it was the first the first section I don't remember <laughs> about how the original scientists were really philosophers, you know, and there was a lot of art in, involved in it. Indeed. Yeah, well, I mean, and like uh, what was I get the impression that classical training back in the day, even prior to the formal study of art and science included a lot of crossover, like just practical training in drawing, uh, sometimes called draftsmanship is, uh, you know, not the same thing as art. And uh, it's interesting to me that they, they kind of get conflated in our in our culture because one is just like a useful practical skill that any literally anybody can learn. Right. Uh, in spite of the the the, the disapproving uh, nods I get from people when I say that, but <laughs> well, there's a truth to it. There's a there's there's a base level of any art that is technical that anybody can learn. That's kind of my maybe it's my opinion, but technical aspects people can learn artistic out you know aspects there's there's some talent involved and 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 maybe some of it people can learn but i mean i don't know what do you think about that about about that's not really in our subject area that we're talking about right now but about talent versus uh technical aspect and, and aptitude and I'm learning reluctant to believe in talent now i'll admit that i'm i'm primarily influenced by angela duckworth's uh research on grit um and in the fact that i just don't know a ton of people to me that like i feel like almost everybody I know has a, like they have a, they have a, an aptitude in some capacity. Now, whether or not they have the sort of mental health um, uh, situation necessary to tap into it is an entirely different issue. One that I, you know, struggle with myself. Um, but uh, I, I feel like there is a tremendous amount of, of, natural ability out there and a lot of it just doesn't get tapped so i think more in terms of people's ability to apply themselves and 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 as being the sort of key factors and i think talent i like to think of talent as a talent for uh what does duckworth say uh fall seven rise eight a, a, a talent for um just coming back in again and again a talent for taking punches and continuing to learn what it is they need to learn. I, right. I uh, did not. I did not go into 2017 thinking that I was going to study, um, you know, real analysis at all or, or number theory at all. Now I'll, I'll admit I was actually taking a, uh, a discrete mathematics course, which touches on those. <laughs> um, when I started studying those theorems, I did not believe there was any hope that I was going to appreciate or 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 kind of grok their implications, um, but I had committed myself to just slamming my head against them until it worked. Right. It turns out that totally can work, and I and I believe that it is the way most people should try to accomplish whatever they are, uh, whatever they are passionate about. Not to say they shouldn't use wise strategy, but when in doubt, just keep bashing. Yeah, I kind of have two two separate theories i guess about how uh a talent may work one is that talent provides you a range that you can practice yourself anywhere into you know if that makes sense and the other is that talent is essentially your ability to to learn that particular skill quicker i guess the rate at which you learn it maybe maybe i you know I, i've never personally like had the opportunity to kind of like observe that in a in a meaningful way and i don't i don't know what the data says um i, I certainly wouldn't say it, it couldn't be that but to some extent i think i think that even more important than the ability to absorb information is the ability to hang with something to just be in it and to be passionate about it and to keep going um and to 
and to fight the urge to okay move on to the next thing um you know becoming a a true talent takes time yeah maybe it would take some some less time more time uh but in any case um yeah i, I think that i i firmly think that talent can just be about wanting to keep going yeah that is absolutely correct and i don't want to get too much farther into it because being that i like to to base things on science here i have not done the research on this so i don't want to start no, I'm, just i'm talking you know fully out of the <laughs> exactly well, so gluteal cleft is parted and uh information <laughs> is coming free right. all right so let's talk about history is so that science and heart so the Rena renaissance humanism the 14th through the 16th centuries came after kind of an era of util uh, utilitarianism uh, and they didn't recognize the difference between science and art at all. And this is the era that like Leonardo da Vinci was in, who was an artist and an inventor. And he had mm -hmm. all sorts of aspects between art and science. And one of, one of them was his works in anatomy and physiology. So he had the topographic anatomy, drawings mm -hmm. of muscles and tendons and stuff. And I found this interesting because this is something that's still done in art schools today. Uh, Carrie, uh, her grandmother was an artist who, done, who did mostly stained glass, but she did, you know, she actually went to school and did stuff and we actually have a lot of her works that she did through art school in in that hanging in our in our game room because they're really mm -hmm. beautiful and so that's just kind of an interesting where you know you get the anatomy and drawing it precisely it's technical but it, it's still like art because understanding the anatomy of doing like realism is very important because if you don't have an understanding of that your realism looks uh not real <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and if you're if realism is is a tool that you need to express yourself, then yeah, you you'd you'd better you'd better know your craft. Um, and I, I feel like that is something that is uh, is is still appreciated very much in the circles that at least I run with and the sort of resources that I consume. The idea that you need to really master your craft and you need to focus and and um, have that in the bag in order to most effectively express the ideas you wish to put forth if that's what you're there to do is i think very much you know a part of a part of the scene but i i think we do miss out on um well in the past i think we've missed out on less well-rounded artists uh such as da vinci having the opportunity to express themselves certainly it wasn't the it wasn't the popular you know sort of song of the of the field for a long time it wasn't right. kind of what people were into and and, and I've, i know a lot of representational artists people that that want to explore realism or at least want to want to sort of like use the trappings of realism in order to you know put their ideas forth uh for them it was a, a frustrating time because it was difficult to find um a good quality education for a while in schools that wasn't dealing with sort of primarily focused on the ideas and the concepts of the art artistic conversation uh, mm -hmm. which is which is distinct from creating artworks as it's known in like a very general sense like you know a video game art is quite practical uh in that sense um and, and it does not necessarily always you know rise i don't want to say rise to but it is not necessarily always um interchangeable with the kind of expressive art that um uh, that I think requires a different sensitivity um, in order to successfully um, execute. Definitely. And I think uh, 
a lot of the stuff that that was done at that time was just kind of appreciated as it was on aesthetic value and not really looked into deeply on on the science or the engineering part like uh you know as we were talking with da vinci his leonardo the scientist was not well appreciated in the science in, in the science uh, i guess circles back then that was still coming mm. out of that utilitarianism so it was only later that like his inventions for the flying machines all this other stuff that he did was really appreciated but when we talk about aesthetics there's something else that kind of comes up that's been in and out of history that our artists like to to grab onto called the golden ratio are you familiar mm -hmm. with this yeah it's some some numbers of some rectangles <laughs> um you do what do you do like you take a rectangle and you what is it there's a particular ratio of the width to the height and i think it's like you draw a square and then you add a certain like half a square to that lay it on me give me the give me the history <laughs> so the actual i guess formula you would say is you have uh the two sides of a square right mm -hmm. so they have a yeah. ratio a to b yeah. when that equals the longer side plus the shorter side over the longer side, that, that ratio, it, when those are the same. So A plus B over A is the same as A over B is essentially what that mm -hmm. is. That's the that's the golden ratio. And there was a lot of time dedicated to it actually in the 20th century uh, and with architects and artists about aesthetics. that uh, Right. That, and this came from, uh, I can't remember what it was called. It's, it's uh, on divine proportion. I've got in a note somewhere. But uh, it was studied a lot by uh, mathematicians and, and stuff like that. Th there was basically a formula behind uh, aesthetics. So, mm. uh, and, I, and I'm not sure if this has ever been proved because according to this golden ratio, like you've seen the image of man, I think was Da Vinci uh, with his arms out uh, uh, in the, a circle. The Peruvian man, Yes, I yes. So, and, and then there's a certain perfect ratio that your limbs are to your body following this rule that isn't really uh, reflected in humanity. So, you know, right. I think you got to take it with a grain of salt. But what's interesting is that this has shown just up. just tapped into the platonic ideal. Exactly, okay, exactly. But what's interesting is this golden ratio does still exist in nature and in science. Uh, people found that it was in uh, like leaf stems you know, mm -hmm. where leaves come out, and then the veins inside the leaves themselves followed this ratio. Isn't and, there some uh, some sense that, you know, maybe our appreciation is, is related to the prevalence of that ratio in nature for whatever reason? Um, you know, like, is there an explanation that, that you're, uh, that has been concluded? I don't think there really has. And in looking back on it, I'm almost, I almost wonder if there's some, some bias in it in that like so uh adolf zesing i think is his name was a mathematician mm -hmm. and philosopher and he went looking for this and he found it everywhere he looked but yeah. he was but because he right. was looking for it you understand like when you right. go looking for something yeah. you see it everywhere uh but he he was confident enough Number to call it almost <laughs> exactly but he was confident in it almost enough to call it a universal law and i'm not sure i would go that far well you we know? are seeing more more um sort of research and i don't know how much it borders on philosophy but like uh, i there is uh what is it i don't know if it's legitimate but i've heard something about a a constructive law and it purports to kind of inform um inform on the prevalence of like particular patterns emerging through natural systems like across human endeavor and natural endeavor so i mean we're starting to see people at least put like some light math and some heavy duty thinking or no heavy duty on both and, and try to come up with a bridge 
uh, between right. uh, like natural processes and the designs that um, lead toward efficient natural systems. And I think you really hit onto something. So this is kind of something else I was thinking about. So in, in 2010, a Journal of Science reported that the that the gold ratio exists on the atomic scale in the magnetic resonance and spins and certain crystal structures. And it makes me wonder, so there's nothing special about the math behind it. Like it's not particularly pretty. It's not particularly balanced in any way. It's yeah, just a I mean, relationship. There's nothing to say that pretty math is more valid. Right. You know? So it makes the me wonder. The map theorem may not be satisfying, uh, but it is like, valid <laughs> right so it makes me wonder if there's just this ratio just happens to be like the least form of resistance you know it could have been any ratio but this just happens to be what it is that has the least amount of resistance sure. to exist in nature and and we just were sure. seeing it essentially there's nothing yeah you, uh, you take a system and you plug in some initial variables and, right uh, and yeah some those patterns will emerge all over the place um oh i'm sorry did i interrupt you no no you're fine you're good um, there is a mathematician I'm fond of, John uh, Conway. Uh, he created uh, something called the Game of Life, uh, and it's just a f sort of a favorite little example for me, or something something that I come back to a lot. It, it just it gives me like this it, tremendous enthusiasm for the possibilities of of just like pure exploration of ideas. And so, the Game of Life, you may be familiar. Well, sure, I'll ask. Are you familiar with John Conway's The Game of Life? I actually am not. Okay, so it is, imagine an infinite grid, um, and uh, each cell in this infinite grid can be either on or off. So it's an infinite two-dimensional grid of uh, binary grid. Okay. And um, there are, I think, four basic rules. Now, I don't know them verbatim, but suffice to say that uh, in like a couple of conditions, uh, the it is conceptually that the you know, it's like if there are if there's only one you know on bit a one by itself surrounded by zeros it dies of starvation for example and if okay. there are two or three nothing happens and if there are four uh, they give birth to a new one uh, and if there are five then there's overpopulation and they, you know it's 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 like four rules that are just extremely easy to state right right so from those from that system emerges like something that ha people continue to study at least in a, in a hobbyist sense to this day it creates these uh, stable structures that are consequences of this incredibly simple um system or incredible uh, deceptively simple system of a few basic concepts and and four simple rules uh, it, it always uh helps me to appreciate the natural world more uh sure. knowing that we have a system that is made up of potentially billions or more important variables spanning the universe and the you know it might as we might as well expect anything to emerge out of the right set of circumstances i'm not advocating a belief in ridiculous magic but you know it like it's such it so expands the possibility space of the universe as to make it absolutely like like brain blastingly uh fascinating to me and, you know, what you're talking about kind of reminds me a little bit about uh, chaos theory, which is, you know, advanced mathematics that everybody that's a conspiracy theorist gets completely wrong in what it means. But the basic <laughs> uh, the basic idea is just that everything that you see that looks random came from an initial set of conditions, essentially. Right. right? Like it's not it, it may look chaotic, but there's a system there. We just can't necessarily find it because of how complex that is. And I really yeah. think that that's essentially like what what maybe that what the story you're talking about was relating to and, and like the golden ratio and how it comes to be 
so prolific, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in, in it nature. could be right. Artifact is not the right word, but uh, to the extent that we can recast artifact, we'll inherit artifact from you know humankind, and we'll recast it for the universe. It's mm -hmm. an artifact of our system, right? Right, definitely. It's an artifact of like how reality is made, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> so one of the other things that I was looking at is when it comes to art and science and technology, we're, we're really starting to get heavily into the age of robotics. And what we've found recently is that the human form is not efficient to do anything. And it, and it makes me really kind of confused how we developed this way. But so when you're trying to do something to be efficient at a function, you do, you build it and design it for that function. But still mimicking human form seems to me to be more of an art still. What do you think about that? Uh, you mean um, of an art, like in order to convey a sense of life from that form, or right. uh, can you? Can, okay, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely a field. There is both like a uh, like a commercial field that benefits um, enormously from the imitation of human life uh, in in digital and mechanical form, uh, and so that spans. Uh, in fact, no, I have to stop talking. Uh, if if I keep talking, <laughs> I'll be in trouble. But in fact, uh, there are sophisticated um, robots uh, in use throughout theme parks all over the world uh, that are specifically there because they can be more performant and more entertaining and more reliable than their human counterpart counterparts can. Um, right. And uh, I only see that expanding um, as uh, as you know the race to cut the human equation out of your bottom line uh, continues. <laughs> That is true. Are you familiar with the uh, concept of the uncanny valley? Yeah, I'm quite familiar with that. So that's kind of like, I think I think that's the difference that I'm talking about. I think science and technology gives you the uncanny valley. It's so exact and perfect and right that it just makes people feel uncomfortable when it's around. When you add in art See, but to that. That's not the science. That's just, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. When you when you add to art that because to me in that the science the technology behind that is is putting in the the formulas essentially okay well this is what humans look like this is how humans move here's a a formula that you know precisely calculates that movement but you when you're doing that math I think is inherently either doesn't work or is efficient there's no middle ground there i think when you know naturally so the art is adding those subtle little things about humans that aren't perfect that make they look make them look more human and let, and then they start they don't throw people off as much i guess is what i'm saying yeah it, it, to the extent that realism is important and perhaps uh, eventually beyond like human beings and our minds and, and talents are just a stopgap on the road toward computers having it worked out um it's it's well i mean technology i shouldn't say computers that sounds like weird and terminator-esque i mean i mean uh, <laughs> sort of technology having it worked out uh human beings will engineer systems that will uh perfectly capture all of the dirty filthy uh experiential detail of whatever character or human uh, performance we need them to we already know that we can derive uh, through the use of technology uh a motion capture performance uh, that is convincing right. with far, far less investment that is required for a traditional animator, which should not be taken to mean that traditional animators are not appropriate for many jobs. I don't see a dis like I don't see one is better, uh, but I will I will say that I, I do believe that you know it's much further down the road, but I don't see any reason why computers will not eventually be able to develop their own aesthetic styles sure. uh, as we del delve into the world of of 
artwork created by machines and you know even if that's in collaboration with people you know yeah and that actually reminds me of something that's not really in the vein of art but it's something that i actually heard neil degrasse tyson talk about that's really stuck with me because when you start talking about like space and 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 how vast it is and alien life and, and probability and stuff he he said something that really stuck out that eventually an intelligent race will get to the point where they're going to create ai and eventually statistically every race is going to die off so the odds are that if we ever actually encounter an alien race right. it's more than likely going to be these ais developed you know machines essentially robots developed right. by this extinct uh race of of, of aliens so I, I your conversation kind of reminded me of that and i just i love talking yeah. about that every time i get a chance because it blows my mind <laughs> because it makes sense you know right but then it puts us into uh what is it uh was it fermi's paradox i forget whose paradox it is but the the trouble is we haven't met any of these ai and if anything is going to work out like uh endless self-replication or is going to come to the conclusion that if we divide and conquer this mess and we, we can branch out and cover the whole galaxy in you know twenty five thousand years or whatever the calculation is um so assuming assuming that um we we haven't actually encountered any of this AI. What does that say about the the likelihood that there is anything that's making it to that point or that is not getting immediately murdered by its AI? Yeah. But um, that AI murders them before it is self-sustaining, and so the AI dies as a result of murdering. <laughs> that is true. But, I mean, there's always the idea of just size and limits is we don't, you know, we have, there's a, a national or national as a universal speed limit of being the travel faster, you know, uh, faster than light. And you yeah. have the universe, which we think to be a certain size, you know, how much time does that take given whenever right. these happen? So, I mean, we could just not gotten here yet. There's, there's the no, Drake equation, yeah, you know, if you're familiar with that. To that era. Sure. Um, I mean, there, there is a time span, but uh, now I don't have it in front of me, but I recall it being like a, an impressively short amount of time. Uh, now I'm going to trust the internet here. It's going to give me the correct answer. How long to colonize galaxy? Because uh, I'm just quite curious about that uh, human race. Yeah, I can't. I can't read and, and podcast at the same time. We'll just have to wing it. Uh, it says no uh, a year. Actually, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, why haven't we done it yet? Like, you know, <laughs> folks can look it up. What am I? A dictionary? Um, <laughs> right. What is it? No, a thesaurus. That's what it is. Uh, the point is. I do think that I, I think there's a reason to fear the great filter, especially sure. with respect to people. Have you ever seen? Okay, people are animals. Are we on the same page there? Yep, tracking. You ever you ever see an animal become like substantially not that animal, like with respect to the rest of its species? You ever catch up with a coyote that was like, "Yo, I'm just not that into it anymore," <laughs> like going its own way in a meaningful direction apart from it, that which gets it more tail. Uh, you know, I think I catch where you're going. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say yes because I'm interested where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what are the chances that the things that people have been doing for the last fifty thousand years are gonna get any better? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, we have a we, we we are seeing like what religious fervor does to people's political attitudes, and I'm not targeting people that are religious in their politics. I mean, I'm talking about anybody that just assumes their politics are reality uh <laughs> right so, no that uh, is uh, there's a there's a truth to what you're saying <laughs> so 
like I think the solution for the human race is going to be learn to lay down and let the people that are the loudest and the most obnoxious win, but like try to just find a, an equilibrium. That's the only long term. You know, really, what we just need to do is you know all put down our shit and go do some art. Ah, well, uh, I'm doing that every day. Come <laughs> that join is me. true. You know, I've actually been doing a little of my own art of late. I've been doing some spray paint stuff, and it's actually it's been pretty fun. Uh, so, so excellent. random question, uh, non sequitur, yeah. because it's something that I learned the other day. Are you familiar with the term masterwork when it comes to art? Mm, sort of. I've heard that. Um, you know, I've, I've I've heard like sort of this popular rumor or legend. I, I've never verified it myself, but the idea that. The masterwork is the point at which you've, you know, it's it's like your master's thesis as an artist. You make right. this masterwork, and then okay, good, you've graduated. Now go make some art. Right. Um, Essentially, the idea that this was the your best piece to show your person that you're apprenticing under before yeah. you essentially gone out. So that was we use it now you know, as just your best piece now. Right. I find it interesting that that has taken a turn from. You know, whether or not that's true is something that I read in, in a source that I trust. But, mm -hmm. you know, you seem to sound like you don't put much faith in that idea. No, no, no. I, I, all, I, I like to caveat everything. Right. Okay. No, I, 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 don't, I don't believe that that's necessarily wrong. I just don't know that it's right. And, you know, since it seems like humans really need to be reminded to, to check their own goddamn sources. I'm going to go ahead true. and say, check, <laughs> check your sources, friends. That's. That, and that's a relief to me as well. You know, I, I don't have to check my sources. Right. Just tell other people, look, I might be wrong. You need to deal with that. You don't, know, and that really hits on it. people that say they're right, okay? Don't listen to those people. That they're really hits, people. that underlines what this show is really about, is about <laughs> learning how to go look it up yourself and how to know when you have right. a reliable source. So uh, so uh, just whenever you need to goose people, have bring me on and I'll like insert maybe 15% lies. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know i'll put that at the beginning of the show as a warning <laughs> and then uh, and then you know that that's at least people at least you're going to get the listeners that want to do their damn homework <laughs> and that is important that is definitely important uh, but that's kind of the the topic that i wanted to cover on the show do you have any uh last minute things i guess that you want to add or talk about no I'm, I'm a reaction guy i i I respond to stimulus. Um, I can plug my weekday show, 9 uh, a.m. to 11 p.m. weekdays on uh, twitch.tv slash verbal processing. It's kind of, you know, ranty, and uh, but it's a little more angsty. You know, it's got a right. lot more like, oh, man, life is hard and video games, man. It's difficult, but I'm going <laughs> to get through it. And I'm kind of teasing myself, but also, like, it's the kind of show that's about, like, hey, everything's hard let's just let's all get in this together and and make shit happen so you know if, if people find that fascinating then uh then they can show up and check it out awesome uh that'll yeah. be that'll be cool you check that do you have any uh of your artwork stuff that's displayed do you have a portfolio or anything online that people can check out if they want you know it's funny i was just getting a little artistic ego the other day and thinking man i'm embarrassed by my portfolio now because <laughs> i i don't update it like i have not needed to art like jobs just come along and nobody has needed my portfolio in forever but uh i will happily show people uh a a healthy dose of stuff i've done including stuff that might be 20 years old now so uh but yeah here, here it is it's at ianstrandberg.com um i mean i'm proud of a lot of this stuff on here some of my have gotten insensitive <laughs> Since I posted it, uh, you know that is the that is a bitch about history. Things that were perfectly acceptable yeah. at one point, you find out fifteen twenty years down the road through no fault of your own was actually right. pretty insensitive. 
uh, you know, I, I'm going to say I, I was deliberately insensitive in case in the case of the monkey's paw eye patch. Ah, um, yes. But uh, you know, the rest of it, your your mileage may vary. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and people can check that out, and if they like my stuff, they can email me and send me beer. I don't know. Whatever works for them. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we can have you again sometime in the future if we get a topic. Uh, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Up your alley. I'll be your Adam Carolla. I'll just come on by. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks. Uh, you, you go ahead and have a good night. Yeah. Take care, sir. Cheers. I don't care about the state of art. Everything I care about is falling apart. Don't want to hear about the new design. I don't mind if I get left behind. All right, that was Ian Strandberg chatting with me about art in the age of science. If you'd like to see more of Ian, you can check him out on his show weekday mornings between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Twitch at twitch.tv slash verbal processing. You can also see a good collection of his art at ianstrandberg.com. I'll have both of those links in the show notes. Once again, you can check out more about A Dash of Science at dashofscience.com. Be sure to let us know how you like the show, ideas for future episodes, or questions you may have at facebook.com slash dash of science. Remember, we all view the world from different perspectives, and as confident as we are in our own views, they may not always be right. We all have value outside of our religious and political views, and if you look, you might find something you can learn from each other. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. The music you've heard on this podcast was by artist Brad Sucks. If you like it, you can check out more at bradsucks.net.